Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. All right, good morning. Good to see everybody today. It's awesome being in this new space with you guys. Fantastic. You can feel the presence of God in here. And uh, Mission Church, you're more than a church. You got like your own vibe. And walking in and seeing all the smiling faces, it's like the people here actually want to serve you. It's like Chick-fil-A without the awkward uniforms. <laughs> and like real smiles, genuinely love people. And so we're excited to be here today and hang out with you guys. Uh, love your pastors. Love Tyler and Rachel. And it's, it, last time must not have been too big of a train wreck because I got invited back. And uh, today I'm invited back when they're not here which means I'm trusted, and I can basically say anything I want. So we'll see how it goes. I want to say good morning and welcome to everybody watching online. Uh, we're in for uh, some fun this morning. Uh, I personally just got back with my family from an epic eight-state vacation. You'll see a picture. This was in Washington, D.C. on the 4th of July by the Washington Monument, and we saw fireworks on the National Mall lawn on Capitol Hill. It was incredible. It was awesome. And uh, the goal is for Amanda and I to get our three kids, Max, Jack Jones, and Maddie, to all 50 states before they go off to college. And I think we got like 23, 24 states now. So we hit eight states on this trip. It was awesome. But when we came back and flew into SFO and there was no humidity or mosquitoes, we were like, this is the promised land flowing with milk and honey. And so it's good to be back. My son, Max, in this picture, he's like, Dad, you got to zoom out on the pictures so everyone can see my Jordan 11 cool grays. Like you're zooming into my face. They need to be able to see my J's. So this is kind of like the, the life stage we're in right now as parents. I'm excited to teach you today on uh, a title that I have for the teaching, which normally I'm not really good with titles. Normally our creative communication team kind of comes up with all that and makes it look, look and sound good. But today I do have a title, and the title of today's teaching is The Most Important Thing You Will Ever Do. And it may be the hardest thing you'll ever do. And it's something in my life that's become a life message because it doesn't come to me naturally. And when you think about the most important thing you'll ever do, as parents, you're probably thinking like, save for the kid's college fund. If you're married and you want to stay married, you're like, the most important thing we need to do is date night, weekly. Don't miss the date night. We've got to get that in. Or maybe, maybe in your faith journey, you're thinking the most important thing you'll ever do is like church attendance. I can't miss church. I got to be there every week. That's so important. And it is. Or maybe it's tithing in your finances, putting God first and honoring him so that he can bless the rest. Or, or maybe in, in your faith journey, it's sharing your faith with others. There could be all these things. And all these things are important, but they're not the most important thing. And so Jesus himself clears it up for us and makes it very simple in only ways that he can in John 15, verse 4. And so we're going to read, maybe you read from the ESV or the NIV. Today we are reading from the NVV, which is the Napa Valley version, because we are talking wine, vines, and fruit. I am so sorry. That was like the worst dad joke ever. If my kids were here, they'd be booing me right now. Let's get into it. John 15, verse 4. So simple, so clear. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved 
you abide in my love. Not your love for him, but rather his love for you. If you would just close your eyes, we're going to pray this morning. Father, we pray today for Mission Church and every church across the bay. Would you help us and teach us and coach us up on how to abide in your love? Would you help us become people of love that live and love like Jesus? In your name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Years ago for Christmas, my wife Amanda and I bought our kids a puppy for Christmas. And so we get this puppy, and he grows up really, really quickly. You'll see a picture. That's right. His name is Champ. He was like gigantic overnight. And so it was my job to actually disciple and train Champ and to be a contributing member of our family. And so I took him to training. And, you know, you you take him to training, and you're like, fix my dog. Make this dog obey me, right? And then you learn very quickly that doesn't work like that. The dog trainer actually trains you how to train the dog. I think sometimes churches like that. We rock up. We're like, hey, Joe, fix my kids. Hey, hey, fix my money. Fix my marriage. Fix my singleness. And that's not really how it works. In church, in the family of God, you learn and you get trained so that you can actually do it. And so here I'm kind of frustrated because I think, you know, lickety split, the guy's going to have Champ obeying me and doing all these cool tricks, and that's not at all what happened. And so in doing this training, uh, we're on this prayer walk in the morning. I just feel like I can hear from God better early outside on a prayer walk, sunrise, and I'm, I'm training this dog how to walk with me and how to obey me, and he's on this leash, and he's always pulling, right? Butterflies, squirrels, anything. He's constantly pulling me. And I'm on this prayer walk, and I'm just like, one of those kind of flippant prayers. You're just like, God, this dog, help it to to heal and walk with me. And as I said that, I don't hear God very often, but I heard him so clearly and so gentle. That morning he said to me, Mark, you do that to me. And when he said that, I'll be honest, the first thought I had is, I'm still on a leash I've been following Jesus for 15 years at the time. I'm still on a leash. You've got to be kidding me. This is embarrassing. I am humiliated. And then I I began to pause and think and realize, you know what? It's true. I'm I'm always trying to drag Jesus where I want him to go. I don't really want to follow him. I want him to follow me. I want him to do what I want him to do instead of me trusting and letting go and surrendering and following him. And so here I am thinking that I'm training Champ how to walk with me when really God's training me how to walk with him. And as I'm kind of circling the wagons and getting understanding on what this all means, I just, I just said, Father, I'm, I'm so sorry. I don't want to walk ahead and I don't want to be away from you. Wherever you are, that's where I want to be. Help me walk with you. And when I said that, I felt like this warmth come over my body, like across my shoulders, down through my legs and my feet. I felt so loved, so seen, so known and heard by God. It it was just such this beautiful moment. I'm not like a crier, but I got some dust in my eye this morning. And I'm just like, whoa. And I'm like looking at Champ like, are you feeling that too? Maybe this will help you walk with me. It, It was an experience in God's love. It was a moment that led to a fresh movement 
in my life. See, abiding is simply walking with Jesus step by step, not ahead, not behind, but literally walking with him in cadence, in rhythm, not in a hurry, not in a rush. It's the pace of grace, walking with him. Now, the good news is Champ is officially off the leash. He can walk with me now without yanking or pulling, walking with me stride for stride. Now, in San Francisco, where we live, top of Petrero Hill, we don't let him walk in the neighborhood off the leash because you will be publicly shamed because you are not at an unleashed dog park. So that is politically incorrect, and you are not allowed to do that. But when we do take him to the dog park, he gets off the leash. Now, I don't know if I'm still on a leash or not. You'll have to talk to Jesus about that. I still don't know. Uh, hopefully, I'm not. But when we talk about growing in our relationship with Jesus and getting closer to him and becoming more like him, Jesus in John 15 uses this metaphor of vines. And what what vines need in order to grow well, in order to become all that they can be, in order to become who you are born to be, you're going to need a trellis. And a trellis is this system. It's a a framework that helps that vine grow strong and put its roots down deep. The trellis helps the vine reach its full potential. It helps the vine be protected from animals and disease. See, a trellis, metaphorically speaking in our lives, is a system. It's a schedule. It's a framework. It's rhythms and patterns where we access God's love for us and we actually grow. We don't get stuck or stagnant, but we actually grow. This word abide in the scripture has several meanings. One is location, to be like rooted or committed to a certain place. But what Jesus is using it as here is in relational terms, personal relationship. Abide means to be held. When was the last time you felt held by God? We really just let go. You surrendered. You brought your burdens, your problems, your mess-ups, your mistakes. And you just let him hold you. One of my kids... he. He actually doesn't give the best hugs. He receives the best hugs. When you, when you give him a hug, he like puts his arms around you and then like puts his head down on your shoulder. And it's like he fully receives everything he can from the hug. And I ask him, he always gets that hug before he goes to bed at night. I'm like, why do you always want that hug before you go to bed at night? He goes, because I want to go to bed at night knowing that I'm loved. Abide actually means to wait for. I don't know that any of us do this in our current culture. If we do wait, we wait through scrolling or impatiently. I think we've probably forgotten the art of waiting. Abide also means to be fully present in the most distracted culture on the planet in human history. To be present to what God is thinking about you. What God is saying about you. What God is so eager to give you and bless you with. This is the language of abiding. Pastor and author John Mark Comer says it like this. When we curate our attention on Jesus and allow the flow of his thoughts into our minds, what he's thinking, what he's feeling about us, we begin to experience his peace, his love, his compassion for all, and his deep, pervasive joy. We become calmer, more loving, and plain happier just by abiding. As the people of God, we're called to be salt and light. And in our current cultural moment, that salt and light looks a lot like a non-anxious presence 
in a society of exhaustion and chaos, that we can be completely different. We're not screaming and shouting and commenting and like everybody else, but we're actually a non-anxious presence that's looking to serve and love other people that are fully present to who God is leading us and nudging us towards, awaken to his love. This is completely different than most everybody outside of the church of the family of God lives almost every single day. And so what we have to understand about abiding is abiding is easy because all of us do it every single day. Abiding is what you think about, what you stew over, what you're constantly going. It's kind of like the app going on in the background, right? It's, it's doing something behind the scenes. The wheels are constantly turning. That's abiding. So in Christian terms, it's continually receiving God's thoughts, his feelings, his plans, his, his love for you. Abiding is easy. All of us do it every single day. But the question is, what are you abiding in? Are you abiding in God's love? Or are you abiding in all kinds of other things? So I, I've got a couple that I listed today. Maybe you're abiding in your to-do list that, by the way, never goes away and only grows. And when you get one thing done, three more things pop up and it feels overwhelming. But you're constantly thinking about what you need to do or what you need to get done. Maybe you're abiding in your achievements. It's that, that next goal, that next thing, that next mountain that you've got to climb, that next goal you need to achieve. Or, or maybe it's money, the crypto and the stock and the 401k. I got to make more money. I got to have this amount in order to feel secure or safe. And it just, it's constantly running in the background of your mind. Or, or maybe it's success, whatever you determine success is. Like, I've got to hit this thing or get this thing or buy this thing or win this thing in order to feel good about myself. I have to have this success. So you're abiding in it. Or maybe it's your needs. If you're single, maybe it's finding someone that you can do your life with, or maybe you're a married couple and it's having children, or maybe it's buying a home or whatever it could be. Oftentimes we can abide in our needs without even really knowing it. And our neediness actually begins to shape us and form us and mold us instead of God's love. Or it could be your desires, which we often confuse with our needs. We think everything we desire is what we need, but we know that's not true. And so maybe it's your desires, this incessant, deep, passionate desire for something that you don't have. Or it could even go a little bit darker. Maybe it's your disappointment. You're like, man, I, I thought I'd be here by now. I thought my life was going to be like this. And here I am, back here. It seems like everybody's ahead of me. I'm just trying to play catch up. And you begin to abide in that, that disappointment. It begins to infect you and spread across your, your body and your thinking and your emotions where your life begins to be defined by disappointment. What hasn't happened? You miss out on this brilliant, beautiful future because you're stuck in your disappointment. Or maybe it's lies and deception that you believe. You heard as a kid, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's not true. That's a lie in and of itself. No, sticks and stones will hurt you, but words will hurt you more. Words will kill you. They'll kill your confidence. They'll kill your faith. They'll take away your peace. Maybe you're abiding in what somebody said about you behind your back or maybe to your face. Or maybe it's the affirmation you didn't get growing up as a kid in your family of origin. I don't know what it may be, but maybe you're abiding in these lies about you and your identity, and that's what's shaping you and molding you. Or it could be fear. I mean, we've seen so much fear in the last two years, right? All you do is turn on the TV. All you're going to hear is fear. <laughs> turn on cable news. All it is is fear. Fear, fear, fear. And that fear has caused you to shrink and become a, 
a microcosm of who you used to be when you were abiding in God's love. Or maybe it's your past, it's the failures, the mess-ups, the mistakes. You're abiding in that. You, you're tormented by your past. Or maybe lastly, it's a current pain or hurt. Maybe it's rejection, something that somebody did to you that you just can't get over, and you're constantly thinking about it. You're living under the burden of that. What I want us to do is we're going to take two minutes. At our church, we do these every week. They're called Selah Moments, and it kind of becomes a community group discussion in church. So we're going to take two minutes. We're going to have a little background vibe music for you guys. And here's the question we have for you today. What do you abide in most? We just listed a whole bunch of things. I'm not talking about your whole life, but in the last three to six months, what is the thing that's occupied your mind the most? The thing that you've given most time and attention to, let's take two minutes and talk amongst ourselves. What have you been abiding in most recently? Ready, set, go. All right. Sounds like there's a good discussion going on this morning. We have people in our church that'll come up to me weeks later, and they'll say, hey, remember that Selah moment for three weeks ago? I've been thinking about that for three weeks, and in prayer and sharing and community and discussion, I now have, like, understanding, and God's led me into truth and out of deception and lies. So I want you to believe this this morning, that you will become what you abide in. What you abide in will shape you, it will form you, it will mold you, and it will fill you. What you abide in will define your life. Your life will be known for what you abide in. If you abide in God's love, peace and joy, serving others, sacrificing for the kingdom, consider it all a privilege and an honor convinced of who you are in Christ, not trying to prove yourself, not trying to achieve God's love or showing that you're worthy of his love, but just simply receiving his love and believing and learning to trust in his love and believe what he says about you and thinks about you. That's what a life that's defined by love looks like. 
Rich Velotis, pastor in Queens, New York, and author of The Deeply Formed Life, says this. We are transformed from the inside out. One is transformed by saying yes again and again and again to Christ's self-giving, poured out, redemptive love. We receive it, and we are formed by it. We can't achieve his love. We can only receive his love. And when we learn how to abide in his love moment by moment, day by day, those little convincing thoughts and nudges and feelings that we get where we experience his love, we're changed. We're just not the person we used to be. Jesus says it like this. In in Mark chapter 3, we see this pattern that Jesus gives us. This is a form of the trellis here. We see here. He says he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. So he wasn't sending anybody out to do anything for him until they had been with him. See, be with Jesus, become like Jesus. He took people that were not like him at all. None of them went to seminary. They weren't super educated. They didn't have a Harvard or Stanford degree in theology or an MDiv or a PhD in Bible study. No, no, no. Just simple, ordinary fishermen, tax collectors, accountants, These are the people that Jesus had, but he called them to be with him, to abide in his love, to be convinced of what he thinks and says about them. And then we see this incredible change that in Acts chapter 4, we see that Peter and John are called before the Sanhedrin, the same Sanhedrin that actually trumped up charges on Jesus that weren't true and had him executed. You think, if I'm going to go before the Sanhedrin and they just killed my rabbi publicly on a cross, I'm going to kind of keep my mouth shut so that that doesn't happen to me. But that's not at all what happens. We see here, Acts 4. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, not the silence, the boldness, the courage, and perceived that they were uneducated, common men like me, like you, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Be with Jesus, become like Jesus. When we learn to abide in his love, we become like Jesus. And can I say today, who lived a better life than Jesus? Who helped more people than Jesus? Who served more poor people than Jesus? Who had more courage and boldness than Jesus? Who gave more glory to the Father than Jesus? Who had more joy and excitement and peace in his life than Jesus? God wants us to become like Jesus because no human has ever lived a better life than Jesus. With rich fulfillment, satisfaction, joy, contentment. He wants us to be like Jesus. That's what he wants for our life. That's his goal for your life. Is not for you to get what you want, but for you to become like Jesus. That's the most liberated, free life any of us could ever live. And so... He gives us this formula, this trellis, this pattern. Be with Jesus, become like Jesus. Now, it's interesting. In the church, we also recognize when people haven't been with Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? Coming into church, got a little funk on them. You know, know, that little funk, right? It's kind of like, ah, always complaining and grumbling. Ah, the music's too loud. Oh, we're doing four songs today, not three. Okay, hey. (laughs) Always looking at the what pastor's preaching too long, right? Come on, Tyler, wrap it up. Let's go. I heard you say the same thing three times, right? Oh, these new people. Why do the new people always sit in my seat? Can they please move? Don't you know this is my church? You know what I'm talking about. When you haven't been with Jesus, you get a little funk on you, right? A little musty. 
When I was in New York City, we were the pastor in this small building packed with people and from the pulpit. He said, I know some of you are experimenting right now with organic deodorant. Please stop. We need the real thing. It did not smell like sweet fragrance to Jesus. It was hot and humid in Manhattan. Small little building. We do. We get a funk on us when we're not with Jesus. On the flip side of that, man, when you've been with Jesus, you're just different. You think different. You feel different. What you care about is different. Your priorities are different. Joe was telling me about Mission Youth. Just got back from camp. Come on. Any Mission Youth at the 9 a.m.? There's one. I bet all of them will come to the 11 a.m. And you better not be home watching online. Get your buns in church. But he was telling me in the last service at youth camp what happened. Like, it was supposed to be this post-party, and they're like, no, we don't want pizza party. We want more of God. And they extended it out, worship longer, pray longer, kids at the altar crying out for more of God, right? The truest thing about us is not our age or our race or our sexual preference or our gender. It's that we're loved by God. That's the truest thing about every one of us. And so Jesus invites us to be close to him. He, he wants to be close to you. He's eager to be close to you. But Mark, he doesn't know what I've done. Yes, he does. And he still wants. I may not want to be close. No, I won't say that. If you knew what I did or what I thought or what I planned on doing, you probably wouldn't want to be close to me either. But Jesus wants to be close to me. Jesus wants to be close to you. And when we are close to Jesus, we become like Jesus. Last week, uh, we were in a prayer gathering with Pray the Bay. It's a unifying prayer movement across the Bay Area. And there was a nurse who has been treating a lot of students for suicide, uh, attempts on their lives, suicidal thoughts. And, and in his prayer, he communicated that there is no pill or prescription or medication for identity. What our young people need more than anything else is to know that God loves them, that their life means something. And he said, every kid that comes in that I treat for this, I feel unwanted, I feel unseen, I feel like nobody knows me, nobody loves me, nobody wants to know me, nobody cares about me. Think about that. For the young people at Mission Church, in youth, for all these students across the Tri-Valley area to be known and loved by God, that's what life is all about. Rick Warren says, to feel loved by God is the starting point of every ministry, every revival, every renewal, and every great awakening. You could say it like this, the experience of God's love, just like I did when God spoke to me and I turned my heart to him and I felt that warmth come over my body. The experience of God's love becomes the expression of God's love. When you feel God's love for yourself, you can't keep it to yourself. You've got to give it away to other people. This is just naturally what happens. Another way of saying it is this. The experience of God's love for you becomes the expression of God's love for others. This is why it's so vitally important that each and every one of us are continually learning to experience God's love for us. This is the Holy Spirit's job, Romans 5. His job His job description is to bring you home to the Father's love, to fill your heart with the Father's love. The people of God should be convinced of God's love for them, not in our minds. 
but in our hearts, that there's this inner knowing that I am loved by God. Nothing I can do can separate me from the love of God. He feels good about me. I can feel good about me because he feels good about me. You've probably seen that movie Elf, right? And he's like, I'm in love, I'm in love, and I don't care if anybody knows. I guess nobody saw Elf. (laughs) But that's what it should be like, is when, when God's love goes from a thought to an experience in our heart, something changes. You no longer serve God out of duty or discipline. You serve God out of desire. I'm here because I want to be here. I'm singing because I want to sing. I'm shouting because I want to shout. I'm giving because I want to give. My heart has been transformed because I'm abiding in God's love. See, abiding in God's love causes you to abound in love. I know a wife just looked at her husband and said, amen. Amen. I'd love for him to abound in love. Paul prays this in Philippians 1. He says this. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. At the end of days, all of us will stand before Jesus. And he's going to really ask us one question. And the question is going to be, did you love? Did you love? That's going to be the question. Did you love? And our whole journey of faith is about us becoming a loving person just like Jesus. When someone rejects me, are we going to love and give them acceptance? When someone neglects me, are we going to move towards them even when we feel lonely? When we're overpassed for an opportunity, they give it to someone maybe in our mind less deserving, are we still going to honor and love and bless? Are we going to become a loving person? person because at the end of the day that that's literally what it's all about uh, a couple weeks ago we had a 60 year old guy come in entrepreneur to our church his name's tom and he's from china grown up here in the u.s most of his days and he said i'm here because i'm starting a new business and i'm studying how community works and i want to create an app that basically helps in face-to-face interaction to help people mentally get healthy and whole and socially have friends that feel like family. I'm like, man, that's brilliant. And I said, well, then why are you here at the church? And he said, because I've, in all my research, what I've realized is the church has done community better than anything over the last 2,000 years. It's the only thing that's actually still going. And I said, wow. And what about your faith? And he said, well, I grew up in China. We were trained to never believe in God. And, and so I've kind of held to that my entire life. But you live enough life, you realize that's actually not true. And so I'm, I'm kind of on this journey. And so he's got a young guy who runs a business, an entrepreneur in our church, and his name's Alan, and he's from India. And he says, hey, Alan, you're from India. Why are you a Christian? There, there aren't Christians in India. It's, it's all Hindus and Muslims. And, and Alan said to me, he goes, yeah, you're right. He said, growing up Muslim, he said, it's a, a, a religion that's based in fear. And Hinduism, there's over 60 million different gods. How do you know you picked the right one? And he said, Christianity is the only religion based on love where the God of the religion actually sacrifices himself in love for the people that he loves. Right. That's why I'm a Christian. Right. And Tom said, I need to know more about that. So good. Isn't that incredible? When we abide in God's love, we then abound in God's love for others. It, it shouldn't, we, we should grow to a place where it's not hard to love other people. But Mark, you don't know that person. They're really hard to love. I know, I have lots of people like that in my life. <laughs> But my love can grow beyond their immaturity. My love can grow beyond their political incorrectness. 
My love can go way above and beyond that. And so this is my prayer for my church, for your church, for all the churches across the bay, that we would be known for our love. Jesus said, you want to know how people are going to know you're a Christian, a disciple, a follower of me? By one thing only, love. They will know you are my followers because of love. We should be abounding in love. So let's get back to the trellis. How do we get there? How do we go from a person that knows about God's love to personally experiencing it, not just once a year, but continually, weekly, daily, monthly? It's a consistent pattern in our life. Check this out. These patterns and rhythms I'm about ready to talk about, this is where you receive God's love, you grow in God's love, and you learn how to share God's love. First of which is this. It's the gathering of the saints. Don't you dare miss church. Be here every single time the doors are open. Prayer, Bible study, community group, whatever it may be, you're here. The gathering of the saints together. We all learn church online is a gift. I'm so thankful for technology, but there's nothing like being in a room of people. There's nothing like hearing other people sing outside of myself, which is great because I have a horrible voice. The gathering of the saints. We do a family camp every summer where we take the whole church and we, we do church uh, from the camp. We do Friday night, Saturday, Sunday morning. We have this young guy who's journeying in his faith and he, he texts me on Monday. He goes, Mark, I, I just got you. I, I was with the church family for three days and here it is Monday and I'm, all I'm thinking about is them. He's like, Sundays aren't enough for me anymore. When you have the gathering of the saints and you roll up your sleeves and you serve and you get involved, you don't sit on the bench and watch, but you get involved, you sacrifice, you give, you become part of the family, guess what? You access God's love. You receive his love, you grow in his love, and you share his love with others. The gathering of the saints is so important. We will never be able to abide in God's love without the church family. It's necessary and essential. As we search the scriptures for Jesus, guess what? There's going to have Bible verses going to jump off the page and kiss you on the cheek. That's God giving you his love through the Bible. He wants to show you how eager he is to love you. And one of the main ways he does is through you reading the scripture. He shows you yourself and how he sees you and thinks about you. This is how we receive God's love, grow in his love, and share his love with others. Through the scripture. And then as you're reading the Bible, guess what happens? You get a verse and you're like, oh wait, that's actually not for me. That's for them. And then you send it to somebody else, and then they have an experience of God's love, right? A lot of the Bible we read isn't just for us. It's for our family. It's for our marriage. It's for our kids. It's for other employees at work. It's for people that we know. And then you have prayer, just talking to Jesus about everyday life, just like I'm complaining to him about a dog that won't obey me. Just talking, let him into your burdens. Let him into your frustrations, your failures, your shortcomings, your stress, what you're scared about. Just let him in. Talk to him about everyday life. And what you'll find is the burden won't be as heavy. Life won't be as hard. Life will get easier because you're sharing it with Jesus. Pray continually. In prayer, we access his love for us. We grow in his love and we share his love for others. As you're talking to him, guess what? Someone's going to pop on your mind. You're going to pray for that person. Send them a voice text. Send them a text. Let them know. Three people this morning popped on my mind when I was praying for you guys. I texted them all. They're like, oh, Mark, you have no idea what this means. While you sent that, this is what was going on in my life. This is what happens. The experience of God's love becomes the expression of his love. If we abide in his love, we'll abound in his love. And then lastly, community. These deep, rich, transparent relationships with others. It's not community until you know other people's needs and they know your needs and you're actually moving towards one another in meeting each other's needs. It's not community until it's that. 
So that Facebook friend, that's not real community. Until you know the things that they don't want you to know about them, because let's be honest, we're Americans. We, don't, we want to be independent. We don't want anybody to know our stuff. We want, we want to just like fly incognito, below the radar, right? Roll in, roll out. We don't really want people to know the dark shadows. In real community, you actually put your cards on the table. Hey, this is what's really going on in my life. This is where I need help. And until there's a mutuality of understanding each other's needs and moving towards those needs, it's not real community. But in real community, and when you let people in and you take off the masks and the facades and drop down the walls, what happens is God uses them to help meet those needs. You access God's love. You grow in God's love. And God loves through you to other people. So here's the battle. There is a battle over abiding. Satan will do every single thing he can to keep you from accessing God's love. Last time you're on your Bible app, you're like one verse in and then text message, phone call. And it's always the darn telemarketer. It's always the scammers, right? And you just, oh, or kids spill something in the other room. And it's like you're always being, the Satan will do everything he can to keep you from abiding in God's love. He does not want you receiving God's love and believing that you're loved by God. He'll do everything he can to keep you from having that. So I want to let you a little bit on some of the things that Satan has battled me, that's tried to distract me from God's love and what God's promised me. I'm sure you guys have been following the real estate market, right? Well, in San Francisco, you know, three bedroom, two bath, you know, 1.5. Now it's up to about 2.2. And Amanda and I, we sacrificed. We owned a beautiful home. We were on our way to paying it off pre-pandemic, sold it, moved to the city. We did what nobody else does. No suburb folks moved to the city to raise kids. But we felt like God telling us if we didn't do it, it would have been disobedience. And so we did it. And here we are now sitting on money that we've made. And like what used to be a down payment isn't a down payment anymore. So oftentimes go to bed. Are are we ever going to have a home for our kids? Are we ever going to own something? Are we ever going to have staying power here in this city where it seems like it's so transient and everybody's moving in and moving out? Will things ever change? Sometimes I find myself abiding in that and not God's love. Sometimes I'm abiding in crime. Like, thank God we got a new DA that's actually going to prosecute. But like in the city, what you read, guys, I wish it wasn't true. It's true. We live in one of the best neighborhoods in the city. We had five break-ins at gunpoint within three blocks of our house. Just last month, a a friend a block away sees outside his window someone breaking into his car. He goes out to to stop it. The guy pulls a gun, puts it in between his eyes, and then takes the car and leaves. And it's like, man, God, you've called me here. Why is it like this? I don't want to be thinking about this. My kids, are we safe? Can I go out? What? Like, come on. And I begin abiding in that. Before you know it, I'm in fear and not in love anymore. My son Max is in eighth grade. He's getting ready to go into high school, which in San Francisco is like college entrance exams. It's like this huge undertaking. There's this massive level of stress that San Francisco parents carry. And it's like so hyper-competitive, and they get so into it. And it's like, where, where do you want my son to go to school? And what doors are you going to open? And is he going to do well? And how is it going to work? And Sometimes I find myself abiding in what I don't know. It's like, God, do something. Help me. And I lose track. And then lastly, this hits closest to home. My son, Jack Jones, he'll be 12 next week. About five years ago, he was violently attacked by a homeless man. And it led to him having horrible nightmares for six months. He'd wake up in the middle of the night, full freak out mode 
sweating, horrible dreams. Our whole church was praying for him. And it's like, man, I failed to protect. I, uh, man, I failed as a dad. And you're working through all this stuff. And, and then the people of God are praying and you're having these conversations, a lot of conversations with Jack. He'd see a homeless person, he'd be triggered and react and it would bring back the trauma. And, and so we're having these conversations and teaching and coaching him about these beautiful homeless people that we have seemingly growing all over our city and in our neighborhood and, and talking to them about mental health and addiction and how they got there. And, and in having these conversations and praying with Jack, the nightmares went away. And when we got our new building in the city, we have a hospitality team that goes out every Sunday morning before church and brings coffee and resources to all of the homeless people around our building. And now my son, Jack Jones, goes with them every Sunday. And he serves the coffee. And he prays for them. And during the week at night, I'll hear him down the hall in his room praying by name for the people that he met on the street the week before. The same thing that tried to attack him actually helped him get closer to Jesus and discover Jesus' heart for those same people. Learning to abide in God's love. But Satan will do everything he can to keep you from abiding in God's love. Here's what I want to do. I want to ask us to stand on our feet. We're going to close in prayer. We're going to give you an opportunity to receive God's love. Maybe it's been a really long time since you received God's love. Maybe it's been a while since you felt what he feels for you. Maybe there's been a bunch of things that have happened in your life, things that didn't go your way, things that you thought were going to turn out a certain way and they didn't go that way. And it's kept you in this cycle of continually thinking this certain way. If you would just close your eyes, and just put your hand on your heart. I want to pray for every person this morning. Holy Spirit, would you just come right now? We invite you to do what only you can do. Bring us home to the Father's love this morning. Help us right now feel what you feel about us. Think what you think about us. Lord, some of us have wandered away. Some of us have forgotten. Some of us, it, it's been a while. And we're wondering if God still loves us, if he still cares about us. Would you speak to your people today, right now? Fill our hearts with your love. If you feel like you're experiencing God's love right now, just raise your hand wherever you are. Yes, I can sense that. I see that hand, see those hands. Thank you. Thank you. Just raise your hand as you sense God's love. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Amen. Now I want to pray for those people that maybe this is the first time you're hearing about God's love for you. And you're, you've yet to receive that love and, and trust that love and surrender your life to Jesus. We're going to give you an opportunity to do that right now. And the question I ask is, what's keeping you from receiving that love? What's keep you from following Jesus and becoming who you were born to be? If that's you today and your heart's burning and you know like, yes, today's my day. I need to commit. I need to let go. I need to surrender. With every head bow and eye closed, if that's you today,
I just ask you to slip up your hand right now. Say, Pastor, that's me right now. In the privacy of your own seat between you and God, just raising your hand saying, that's me. I wanna, I wanna follow Jesus. I wanna receive forgiveness and freedom and I want to know his love for me. Thank you. I see your hand. More importantly, God sees your hand. I see that hand in the back. Thank you for that hand. Thank you for that hand. Thank you for those hands this morning. You can go ahead and put that down. Let's all just whisper this prayer together. Just say, Jesus, thank you for loving me. I trust your love. I surrender to your love. Forgive me. Set me free. Help me follow you. I give my life to you. In Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.